Over the last six months, we've been tracking it. Out of the last six months, we've seen 187 people give their life to the Lord for the first time ever. First time ever gave their life to the Lord. That's, that's 187 people who some of them, they've never been to church a day in their life. And they walked in the doors, gave their life to Jesus that day. And so I, I say all that because I want you to know that you have a part in that church. Everything that we've learned and everything that we're doing there all took place right here in this church. And so from the bottom of my heart, I say thank you so much for investing in us and believing in us. Shannon and I uh, celebrated 18 years of marriage a few weeks ago. 18 years of marriage. Come on. Raymond, she said it was the best eight years of her life. <laughs> she said that last eight years was good. The rest of it. Y'all pray for me. Y'all pray for me. And we have our two boys here, our amazing young men who love Jesus. Uh, Aiden, who is 14 years old, totally single and ready to mingle. And uh, you can line up after service. He is like excited about uh, being single. And Asher here, who is 10 years old, who is uh, who's just my little buddy. Both boys look just like me. I prayed. I didn't know this, but I prayed that they would have the brains of their mother. I forgot about looks. And so they got this. And this is all they got. And so they need prayer. So you guys pray for them. Man, I'm excited. Pastor Ariel, for you and your husband, uh, you guys are doing an amazing job here in the youth ministry, watching all the teenagers down front and doing all that. It's just so fun to watch. You guys are killing it. Pastor Joey loves you guys. So, hey, I want to jump in today, into today's message, and I want to kind of kind of catch up where Pastor Joey left off, where he talked about Jeremiah 29, 1 through 10, and then he talked about Jeremiah 29, 11. And this is an amazing passage of scripture that talks about, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. So we know that God has, and he declares it, that he has a plan for us, a plan to prosper us, not to harm us, to give us a hope and a future. Come on, somebody. How many of you know that your hope is always attached to your future? Nobody ever hopes for their past. But I hope it's doing all right back there. Nobody says that. We're hoping our past doesn't catch up to us. Mm -hmm, some of y'all have a past. We know. We're hoping that our past is like, we're just, you know, we move on from it. But now I want you to understand that scripture, because if I was to preach on hope and future, I could preach the house down. We'd have Pastor Jason up here on the keyboard and we'd make that thing sing and hum and you'd be shouting and grabbing and clocking. We'd be all over the place. It'd be amazing. However, where does hope come from? Now I tell people all the time, hope is dangerous. Sometimes all you got to do is give somebody a little bit of hope in the hospital room. You give them a little bit of hope. Man, everything fires in that. You give somebody whose marriage is on the brink of divorce, you give them a little bit of hope, man, something comes alive inside of them. You give a teenager just a little bit of hope for their future that it doesn't have to be a repeated cycle in their life. You give them a little bit of hope, man, something fires inside of them and they are ready to go. Hope is dangerous. But where does hope come from? Well, if you have your Bibles, you can open them up to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. Hey, if, you have, if you don't have your Bibles, you can use your uh, iPhone. If you don't have your iPhone, you can use your eyelids. They'll be right there on the screen. You can follow along on that. I'm just going to stand on whatever I want to stand. And so Romans chapter 5. Now watch this. The Apostle Paul tells us where hope comes from. And some of you may be a little bummed. Because we want hope. Because hope is attached to our future. 
But the apostle Paul says, here's where hope really comes from. Romans chapter five says it like this. And uh, he says, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this is amazing. I'm going to pause for a second because peace is not a feeling. Peace is a person. We've mistaken peace for an emotion. If I just get this job, I'd have peace. If I just get in this relationship, I'd have peace. If I moved out of this neighborhood, I'd have peace. If I could just be at this, if I could just have this in our bank account, I would have peace. But what we've mistaken is peace is not a feeling. Peace is a person. How do you know that? Because when Jesus was born, it said that he would be wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, and the prince of peace. So he's the prince of peace. And so we have peace in our life because of this relationship that we have with Jesus. Then he says this, through whom we've gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast of the hope of glory, not only so, but also glory in our suffering. Now, none of us in this room brag about our suffering. Never seen anybody on Facebook like, this is the most amazing day. I'm suffering. Like, we, we lie, right? We're like, this is the greatest day ever. Not really. But he says, we hope in, uh, uh, we glory in our suffering because we know, and he's speaking of us as followers of Christ. If you're a believer of Jesus in this room, here's what we know. We know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance produces this godly character inside of us, and godly character Inside of us develops hope. Verse 5 says, and hope does not put us the same. Now, again, if we want to talk about hope for our future, uh, Jeremiah 29 11, for I know the plans that God has for you, declares the Lord to give you a hope and not, and not to harm you, to give you a hope and a future. We go, yes, I want that. But here's where hope comes from. If we work it forward, we can work it backwards. That hope comes from godly character. Godly character comes from learning how to persevere. Persevering through hard times and difficulties and battles and struggles in our life. That's where hope comes from. We want hope, but we don't want battles. We want hope for our future, but we don't want to suffer. We don't want to go through those things. And the truth is, every single one of us in this room are going to go through hard times, difficulties, and battles. And I know some of you are thinking, well, pastor, you should be positive. Okay, I'm positive you're going to go through difficulties, hardships, and battles. Why? Jesus himself said it in John chapter 16, verse 33. For in this world, you will have trouble. But then he says this word, but take heart, I've overcome the world. Now, I don't know about you, for me, when I read that, when I'm in the midst of a battle, take heart, I've overcome the world, I think, well, that's great, that's you. Like, I'm trying to overcome other things. I'm, you're, you're God, so you overcame the world. That's amazing. I'm trying to figure out how to overcome battles in my life. I'm trying to figure out how to overcome anger. I'm trying to figure out how to overcome addictions. I'm trying to figure out how to overcome a, a broken marriage. I'm trying to figure out how to overcome some relationships. I'm trying to figure out how to overcome some dreams that have died in my life. I'm glad you overcame the world, but I'm over here trying to figure out how to overcome cancer. I'm glad you overcame the world, but I'm not you. You ever been there? 
Come on. We've all been there before where we had those moments because Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. In other words, you will have setbacks in your life. You will have problems in your life and you will have loss in your life. In this world, you will have setbacks. You will have problems and you will have loss in your life. And those are the problems that we'll face. But then he says this, and the Lord showed this to me one day, and he said, but I've overcome the world. And I was in that moment where I was like, that's great, that's you, but that's not me. And all of a sudden, the Lord reminded me what that really meant. What he was saying was, you're going to have setbacks, but I'm going to use your setback to set you up for a comeback. Because you cannot have a comeback without a setback. And you cannot have a miracle without a problem. How many of you know the main ingredient for a a miracle is a problem? And so if you have a problem, you are divinely set up for a miracle. You can't, nobody ever says, I need a miracle. Why? What's wrong? Nothing. (laughs) Nobody ever says that. When they say, I need a miracle, why? And they tell you all the things. You cannot have a comeback without a setback. You cannot have a miracle without a problem. And you cannot have a resurrection without a loss. And so God says, listen, I can resurrect dead dreams. I can resurrect dead marriages. I can resurrect prodigal sons and daughters. I can do all those things. In this world, you will have those issues, but take heart because I've overcome. I can turn your setback into a comeback, your problem into a miracle, and your loss into a resurrection if you trust in me. We want hope for our future, but we don't want suffering because we've learned to live in a culture and a society where persevering is not part of the process. We don't want to persevere. We want to quit. It's called quiet quitting. We just quit. But learning how to persevere, learning how to push, back, push through difficulties and setbacks in our life, how do we do this? I want to give you a strategy. One of the things that I've learned about myself through the help of counseling is that I'm a strategic thinker. I didn't know that. Pastor Carlos, I was sitting in counseling, year-long of counseling. The guy goes, John, you know you're a strategic thinker. I'm like, I am? He goes, yeah. So for the whole next year, I would tell him my wife. I'm like, I'm strategic. <laughs> I'm strategic. I just had to tell myself. I didn't even know. I'm like, I'm strategic. I look at my kids. They're like, it's time to go to bed. Dad, I don't want to go to bed. I'm strategic. I, I just... I've learned how to pick up on patterns and strategies, and I've seen this in the scripture. I want to give you real quickly a strategy that we see David in the scriptures do. Now, we know David is a man after God's own. So we know that. See, some of you have been showing up to Wednesday night prayer meetings and learning how to push through, and that's why some of you knew that. You're going to heaven, bigger house. The other rest of you? (laughs) We're glad you're here on Sunday, but Wednesday... So don't be complaining here on earth. We just wish we had a bigger house. But David was also a man who was not afraid to go through battles. David, if you study the scripture, David went from battle after battle after battle. David loved to fight. David shows up and his brothers are there and they're facing Goliath and Goliath is uh, just uh, shouting at them and trying to intimidate them. And David's like, what's wrong with you? Well, no, he's big. And David was like, let's fight. Let's go after this thing. Why? Because he learned how to fight in the field when he was shepherding and he learned how to battle the lion, the tiger, the bears. Ooh. 
David wasn't afraid to fight. So David, his first act when he becomes king is to restore worship into the nation. And so as he's restoring it, he faces a battle at home. And his wife is like, what are you doing? And Michael, his wife says, I can't believe you would do this. And David says, I'll become even more undignified than this. This is nothing because I will make sure that we restore worship. So David restores worship, and after he does that, watch this. I'm going to show you a strategy found in 2 Samuel chapter 5. So when you are facing a battle, whether it is now or soon to come, here's what you need to learn. The Bible says in verse 17, when the Philistines heard that David was anointed king over Israel, all of the Philistines, not some of them, but all of them went up to search for David. And David heard of this, and David went down. They went up. David went down into the stronghold. Now the Philistines had come and spread over the valley of Rephahim, and David inquired of the Lord, shall I go up against the Philistines? Will you give them into my hand? And the Lord said, go, for I'll certainly give them into your hand. And David came to baal Perazim, And David defeated them there, and he said, the Lord has broken through my enemies. That's my prayer for us this morning here at Belmont, that God would break through your enemies, that God would just begin to break through, give you a breakthrough than what you're walking through. And so he says, the Lord has broken through my enemies like a breaking flood. Therefore, the name of the place is called baal Perazim, which means the God of breakthrough. And so here's this strategy I want to show you. David is facing yet another battle. So what does David do? The enemy hears, the enemy heard and they went up, but the Bible says that David, in return, David heard, and he went down. So the Bible says that David hears this thing, and David responds. You're going to notice a pattern, because when the enemy hears that you're restoring worship into your home, he'll always go up and make himself look bigger. You ever notice that? Where was, where was this whole battle? It was in the land of the giants. But the enemy, uh, the, but the Philistines knew that David was no longer intimidated by their size because he took out their biggest giant. He's in the land of giants and the enemy now goes up. Why? Because the enemy will always try to make themselves look bigger. It will always try to make your problem look bigger. The enemy will always try to make your diagnosis look bigger. The enemy will always make your issues look bigger than what it is. Why? Because then you will retreat rather than stepping forward. And so what does David do? The Bible says that the enemy heard and they went up. But David heard this side. Here we go. You ready? David heard and they went and he went. But the enemy heard and they went. David heard and he went. The enemy heard and they went. There's a strategy. Every time the enemy tries to make himself look bigger, you've got to learn how to go down. Some of you are like David. You're like, let's go. Let's fight. You want something? Let's go for it. And you are always looking for a fight. And David, instead of going up to meet them, the Bible says that David went down into the stronghold. Watch the strategy. Because David didn't entertain it. David stepped back on that. David stepped back. Some of you are wanting to step forward and fight in the wrong way. Because how you fight your battle will determine your outcome. Some of you are fighting the wrong way. You're fighting with this. Some of you are fighting with this. That was backspace. You know how that is. Autocorrect gets me all the time. We're fighting. 
fighting the wrong way. So the Bible says that the enemy heard that David was advancing. The enemy heard that you were going to counseling to restore your marriage. The enemy heard that you're uh, restoring worship into your home. The enemy heard that you're bringing your family to church. The enemy heard that you've been clean and sober. The enemy heard, so the enemy goes up. But David, when he heard, he went down into the stronghold. Now watch this because the word stronghold is not something that has a stronghold on you. The word stronghold was a sacred space where David would meet with God. David went down into this place. And what does the Bible say? He went down into the stronghold. He inquired of the Lord and the Lord replied. David inquired of the Lord and the Lord replied. See, there's a, I have a blue chair in my office in Minneapolis. There's nothing special about a blue chair, but it's just a place where I go where the Lord speaks to me. It's where I read, I write, I pray. Now, nobody buy a blue chair, okay? It's just a leftover chair that my mother-in-law gave me, and it's ugly, okay? It's not, because, it's not ugly because she gave it to me. Don't, don't get me in trouble now. But it's just a blue chair that I sit in and I just inquire of the Lord. Notice what David did. He went down into the stronghold. He inquires of the Lord, God, what do you want me to do? Listen, if the last time you went before the Lord and inquired of him was when you were in trouble, you're in trouble. We've got to learn how to go down into the stronghold, inquire of the Lord, and let God begin to speak to us. God, what do you want me to do? Now, my blue chair, there's nothing impressive about my blue chair, but it's effective. There's nothing impressive. And we've created a culture that, that has replaced in, uh, uh, effective for impressive. We want to be impressed. Pastor, impress me by your church. Pastor, impress me by your sermon. Pastor, impress me with your no socks. Ooh. Some of y'all thought I had socks on. They were like, man, I look. Pastor, impress me by your youth ministry. Pastor, impress me by your kids' ministry. Pastor, impress me by the music. Pastor, impress me. Well, we just weren't impressed by the music today. Well, we just weren't impressed. And let me just tell you, when you are walking through a battle, listen, you're not looking for cute. You're looking for effective. I don't need lights and smokes and glitz and glamour. I need people who know how to get on their knees and call heaven down. I need people in my life who know how to push back darkness. I don't need people who just want to look... Just don't, it's nice. It's just nice. I got it from TJ Maxx, but don't tell anybody. It's a real deal. It's a real deal. It's a real deal. I don't need cute. I need effective. I want people who know how to push back the darkness. I want people in my life when I'm walking through a battle who know how to call heaven down and declare cancer would be removed. I want people in my life that I can go to and say, man, my kids are walking through hell and they begin to pull them out of hell and all the things that they're walking through. They know how to pull them out of this stuff, not sit in there and look cute. I don't need impressive. I need effective. I want to know that God is doing something. So David, the Bible says that when the enemy went up, David went down into a stronghold. He inquires of the Lord. Many of you know this passage of scripture. David writes it in Psalms 139. It's a famous passage of scripture. And David says it like this. Search me, O God. What do you do in the stronghold? What do you do when you're sitting in that moment? You're sitting in your version of my blue chair and you're just sitting there. Here it is. Search me, O God. Know me, try me, test me, 
Notice what David said. David says, man, notice my anxious thoughts. Anybody ever battled some anxiety in their life? Yeah, the rest of you are lying. There's battles where you're like, I just don't know, and I'm just not sure. David had anxiety, and then watch what David does. David asked a question, and most of us have, have misquoted this verse. Search me, O God, and see if I'm offended. But that's not what David says. David said, search me, O God, and see if there's any offensive ways in me. And then lead me. What does David do in a stronghold? God, search me. God, know me. God, test me. God, try me. God, look inside of me. Is there any offensive ways in me? Am I offensive to people in my home? Am I offensive to people on my job? Am I offensive to people in my family? Am I offensive in my marriage? Am I offensive to my boss? Am I offensive to my spouse? Am I offensive to my kids? Search me. And after you show them to me, lead me. Lead me in the right way, God. Oh, come on. That's where change begins to happen. God, search me. Several years ago, two years ago, matter of fact, both our boys were in a, in a pretty severe accident. They're both together, my oldest broke his foot and my youngest broke his femur. And if you know anything, the femur is one of the strongest bones in the body that tells you how severe the accident was. And both of them are in this, in this uh, accident. And I remember, one of the things I've learned about myself is that when I feel like things are getting out of control, I become controlling. I now control everything. Because the accident didn't happen with me, so now I'm going to control the whole situation. And so now I'm making sure he, he's taken care of and he's taken care of. And, and we moved an hour west to be with my in-laws because they lived on uh, one floor and Asher was into a wheelchair and, and everything. And, and only dad, we, we developed this relationship where only dad could take care of him. He wanted, he wanted dad. And it was amazing because he wanted dad to pick him up. And he wanted dad to help him. And he wanted dad to put him in his wheelchair. Dad to give him his medicine. And dad to give him a bath. And dad to take him out of the bath. And dad to dress him. And dad to take him to the doctor. And dad to take him to rehab. And dad to do. And all of a sudden, I started to find myself breaking down. I found myself. Nothing. Listen. Some of you who are teenagers in Excel, now your parents. Nothing worse than watching your kids suffer. That's hard. I found myself breaking down. And I remember calling a board of overseer in our church and I just started explaining to him and he was like, man, you got to get away. And I said, I can't because he needs me. And over a course of time, we had uh, Shannon's dad help out and he started taking care of Asher, gave me an opportunity to get on a plane. I go and I, I get to this church and they have a prayer room. Nothing, nothing impressive, but it was effective. It had a lamp and a love seat. And it was in that place where I just began to pray and intercede. I went down into my stronghold and I began to inquire of the Lord. You see, I was praying for a breakthrough for my son because doctors were saying that he'll always walk with a limp. That he will, his, his, when his leg was broken, it went four inches up. The bone went four inches up. And if it doesn't grow properly and things don't heal properly, then he'll always have to wear lifts in his shoe and he'll never be able to run again the same way that he did before. And he's got all these, and now he'll have hip surgeries, multiple hip surgeries throughout his lifetime. And I'm breaking down. I gotta be honest, as a dad, I'm breaking down. 
and I get into my stronghold and I, I'm praying and I'm praying for a breakthrough in his life. And then all of a sudden, about day two, God begins to break through into my life. I was there for him. God, give him a healing. God, bless him. God, protect him. God, I rebuke every lie spoken over him. That boy's going to walk again. He's going to run again. He's never going to have to have another surgery in his life. And I'm praying for a breakthrough in his life. But in the stronghold is when we inquire of the Lord, what do you want me to do? And God began to say, John, I want to deal with your anger. Because it was my father-in-law who caused the accident. Not intentionally, it was an accident. Everything is great in a relationship with us. But I had anger inside of me. And God said, I want to deal with that. I want to deal with you, John. I want to deal with your insecurities. I want to deal with your hurt. I want to heal some things in your life. I want to take care of some things in your life. And now here's what happened. Because when David inquired of the Lord, he came out of the stronghold stronger. And the Bible says that when David came out of that place, he began to overcome the enemy. And he stepped into the battlefield and began to win battle after battle after battle. Why? Because he learned a strategy that when the enemy goes up and makes himself look bigger, the Bible says that David went down into the stronghold and he came out of there stronger. And so for me, I come out of this place and God begins to speak to me about me. And he says, John, I still got a plan for you. I got to tell you, I was ready to quit. I was done. And God said, I still have a plan for you. You are not done. And I begin to walk out of that place stronger for my family, stronger for our, our marriage, stronger for our kids, stronger for our church. I had vision that God was beginning to give me that we are seeing to this very day because I refuse to give back up anything that the enemy is trying to take. I refuse to walk away. I refuse to settle. I refuse to sit down. I refuse to take a step back because I begin to declare as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And I begin to take back everything that the enemy was taking. And so when you're in the midst of a battle, this is that moment where we begin to declare in the stronghold, this is how we fight our battles. What if you turned your chair into a sacred space today? Your stronghold and you begin to declare, this is how I fight my battles. No matter what it looks like. Father, this is morning. We declare that. Come on, right at your seat. Would you just begin to declare that? God, search me. This is how. Come on, that's it. This is how. Oh, I go down into the stronghold. I inquire of the Lord, and the best part of that verse was this, and the Lord replied. When you search of the Lord, you inquire of him, he replies. You begin to walk out of the stronghold stronger. You walk out of the stronghold more versatile. It's when you create any space like this chair, a sacred space where you meet with God, and God meets with you. You come out of the stronghold stronger than you went in. It reminds me of the game of checkers. How many of you know how to play checkers? Easier than chess. I learned not too long ago that my wife was a sixth grade checker champion. 
sixth grade checker champion. And she reminded me that she was not only sixth grade checker champion, Mylene, hey, she was a sixth grade spelling bee champion. She said, if you're going to tell it, tell it true. I'm married up, y'all. Sixth grade checker. Listen, checkers is easy. It's easy. Red and black pieces. And the object of the game is to get to the other side. I may lose some pieces along the way. But when I get to the other side, I get to look at my opponent. And I get to say two words. How many of you know what it is? Say it again. King me. And you know what my opponent has to do? My opponent has to put back on me what they took off of me. And now I come out of that corner stronger than ever. I can move in any direction. I've got versatility. I've got strength. I've got authority. I've got direction. When David came out of the stronghold, he came out of there with direction. He came out of there with authority. God told me to take on the opponent. God told me to walk forward. God told me to overcome the enemy. And he walks out of there with this authority and with this power and versatility. And so today, my prayer for you is that up from the ashes of what you felt was dead, hope would arise inside of you. The battle you face, hope begins to arise that you would be able to step out of the stronghold and begin to overcome the enemy and everything that he's walked you through. And you would take what the enemy meant for bad and baby, turn it into something good. Let's stand to our feet and let's declare this over our life, over our home, over our family, over our children, over our city. Let's begin to declare. Up from the ashes. Ashes have been burnt. They are destroyed. Things are done in the ashes. But out of that, hope comes alive. Hope was risen on the third day after Jesus was placed in the tomb when everybody thought it was over. Hope had died. Dark has come over the world. But there was a light that resurrected out of that tomb because out of the ashes, hope rises up. So what makes a person want to sing a little louder? Victory. When I know that I've overcome, the Bible says I'm more than an overcomer. I begin to declare it. Nothing makes the enemy more mad is when you declare and you stomp over the enemy and you gloat about it. Up from the ashes, hope will rise. Up from this moment, hope is coming alive. Hope for my future. Hope for my family. Hope for what God has in store for us. Nothing is dead. Nothing is lost. Nothing is over. Hope rises in this place. Come on. Hope is here. And his name is Jesus. Today, here's what I want to do as we are closing. I'm going to ask the altar workers if they'll come. And as the altar workers come, we're going to continue to sing this song. But maybe you're facing a battle. Here's what I need you to know. You are not facing it alone. The enemy wants you to think that you're alone. But it's in this moment you come to that stronghold and you inquire of the Lord. David said, what do you want me to do and will you give me the victory? But here's what I want you to know is that both my boys fully recovered. Amazing young men, amazing athletes. Aiden, eighth grader. Aiden's an eighth grader and played on the high school baseball team. Asher, Broken femur, 
one year later is getting a lot of penalties in football. Because he was just excited. He was running. They're like, can you stop lowering your head and hitting people? He was like, let's go. And did amazing his first year in football. And, and it does athletes from baseball and basketball. And he's fully recovered and no, no problems with lifts, no issues, no surgeries, none of that. Hope was alive and well in our home and in our family. When we thought it was dead, when we thought it was going down, hope rises. Can I just share this with you real quickly as we close? Some of you today, you're facing a battle and you're looking to be impressive rather than effective. Can I tell you that this is not a place to look cute. This is a place to look real. You may think you have some people fooled, but you don't have him fooled. And you may be one step away from a breakthrough. And that step may simply be coming up here because the Bible says when two or three gather together, there he is in our very midst. I just need to say, God, would you pray? And so I'm going to challenge you and encourage you in the next few moments as the worship team gets ready to play. If you're facing a battle or maybe you need to stand in the gap of a family member, a friend, or someone like that, would you come and find a prayer person right here and say, man, I just need to pray. They don't need to know all the details, but you need to know that they'll intercede. Maybe they'll prophesy over your life. Maybe a healing would come right here in this moment. Maybe prodigal sons and daughters may come home, all because you decided I'm going to take a step and go down into the stronghold and inquire of the Lord and let him speak hope and life into you. So out of the ashes, hope can arise and death is defeated. And now I'm going to sing in the middle of the storm. Come on, let's declare it as people are coming today. So today, if you're here and you're not in a right relationship with Jesus, this is that moment where most of us, we say, hey, close your eyes, bow your heads, nobody looking. And I just want you to say, man, no heads bowed, heads up, eyes open today that we could say, man, I need to accept Jesus into my heart today. And we could celebrate with you because the Bible says all of heaven celebrates when one person gives their life to the Lord. So today, with heads up, eyes open, if you're here and you've never given your life to Jesus, but today you want to have him in your heart, on the count of three, I'm going to encourage you to lift up your hand high enough and long enough so I can see it. One, two, three, lift it up. That's me. I want to give my life to Jesus. Yeah. Yep. Yes. Come on. Yes. Yeah. Come on. That's it. Thank you. Yes. Yeah. People giving their life to Jesus right here. Come on, the church is not dead. Hey, today, I want to pray for you, and then I'm going to pray and dismiss. But today, if you've given your life to Jesus, I want to encourage you to stop by the connect table right there in the back. We want to give you a Bible to help you in your journey. We want to continue the conversation that that will help you grow in the decision that you've made today to follow Jesus. And your right next step is water baptism. So if you've never been water baptized, make sure that that is your next step when God has that for you. Father, today I'm so thankful and honored to be able to share the word of God. I pray that all of us would be reminded that when we go into the stronghold, we would inquire of you. And Lord, your word says that you respond and we would ask you to search us, look within, so that we can come out of the stronghold stronger than ever before. And we would declare, King me. 
Put back on me everything that you've stolen from me. Give me my joy back. Give me my calling back. Give me my peace back. Give me my kids back. Give me my marriage back. We would begin to declare, King me in those moments. I thank you for all the hands that were lifted today that said yes to surrendering their hearts to you. Today, God, we ask that you would forgive us, that you would help us, that you would heal us, and you would set us free today. We stand on the word of God that will not return void. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' mighty name. And the church said? Come on, and the church said? Come on, let's give Jesus one more hand clap of praise. Man, well, what a wonderful moment. I ended two minutes early. Make sure you let Pastor Joey know that. That's a world record for us, Pastor. Hey, I want to take a moment to just say again, thank you so much. We love you guys. You are a big part of who Shannon and I are, and our family is because of you. I pray God's greatest blessing over you and over this church and over your amazing pastor, Pastor Joey, and his wife, Cicely, who are doing an amazing job. I'm so thankful for them. God bless you. You are dismissed. We'll see you back here next week.